Mark for our fun this morning. Uh, we've been walking through, uh, really using as kind of our foundation, Isaiah 9-6, that tells us that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, our, our Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I've really just have been very convicted that what we need the most uh, this Christmas season uh, for all of the sort of upheaval and frustration and angst, this, just the underlying anxiety uh, that has been going on in our life and in our world, that what we need is truth spoken to that, that Jesus Christ is the peace of this world. And that something happened when Jesus Christ arrived in this world to bring peace to us. And that is a reality that we can live in today. That because God is present, that God is Emmanuel with us, because God is present, because we have an eternal perspective on life when we looked at Philippians 4, we can know that in all circumstances there can be peace for us because God has drawn near. This morning, I want to speak with you about the arrival of Christ and the arrival of peace in the presence of Christ. There's no better uh, book than Mark and how he sort of uh, gives us this like play-by-play action of Jesus and his ministry. And we're going to take a little quick overview of the Gospel of Mark. This morning is about the arrival of Christ and the peace we have even in the midst of the chaos. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can have peace. Lord, that it's more than a greeting, it's more than a feeling, but it is abundance, it is comfort, it is grace, it is forgiveness, it's mercy, it's welcoming, it's kindness, the overflow of your blessing in our life. We can have it today. We can share it with others. We can be reconciled and walking with you because of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray peace over us, that your blessing would comfort us now. Thank you, Lord, for your grace today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read uh, the Gospel of Mark, there is something sort of provocative going on in the book. I'm going to say something to get you engaged into the sermon so you're ready on the edge of your seat. I'm going to say something a little edgy for you, okay? Are you ready for it? Jesus starts his ministry in all the wrong ways. Okay, all right. You guys don't seem to know a heretic when he's standing in front of you. All right. So Jesus starts his ministry in all the wrong ways if you're trying to bring a worldly kingdom. So he brings brings, uh, this up multiple times in the opening parts of the Gospel of Mark. He does this funny thing. You see, if you're going to try and take over the world, you'd want to get a lot of people to come and follow you. But Jesus, what he does in Mark's Gospel frequently is he does a miracle, he heals a bunch of people, and then what does he tell them to do? Don't tell anybody about it. Don't talk about me. Don't bring it up. You'll be tempted to bring it up, but don't do it. And of course, they all fail miserably. They're thinking, well, yeah, I might as well go and tell everybody, right? And so he does this multiple times over. And he'll heal people, and he'll say, okay, don't tell anybody about it. 
he does other weird things that you wouldn't do if you were trying to bring, uh, bring a sort of worldly kingdom about. He would spend time with people who are of no real social value to him. In fact, he would spend time with people who are of social detriment to him. He would spend time with tax collectors. He invited Levi to come and be one of his followers. Levi was a tax collector. We feel about tax collectors the, way, the same way, if not uh, they felt even worse or more angry about them back then. Sorry if you're an IRS agent. We don't like you. Find another church, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. If that like actually happened, that would be comically hilarious, and I'm totally kidding. But uh, you're welcome here. We're trying to be like Jesus, you know. Uh, and so Jesus is welcoming people. Jesus is welcoming people into his sort of inner circle that are of no real social value to him. So if you're looking at Jesus as saying, okay, this is the king that we've been waiting for that will bring justice, that will bring peace, but he's doing all the wrong things by our worldly eyes and our worldly vision. He's doing all the things wrong. You you would reach the people who are of social status and value. And you would create a marketing plan that would build up uh, your crowd and your followers, and you would become the better influencer. And you would surround yourself with powerful people who owe you favors. This is how you would bring a kingdom. And it's this sort of longing expectation that I think is the underlying tension of most of the Jewish people who are waiting for a king who will come and rescue them and bring peace. Because the way that you bring peace, the way that you bring comfort, the way that you bring blessings is through power. That is their reality. And so when the Gospel of Mark is written and it tells the story, it tells the story of Jesus who is doing all the things wrong and proving it to be all the ways in which you should bring the kingdom. So I ask you to forgive me for my heresy, and I'll say it the correct way now. Jesus brings the kingdom in the very best way possible. And what he does is he's, instead of doing things as we might expect a worldly king to come and reign and bring power, he comes and he brings an upside-down kingdom in which he reaches to the hearts of the people who are receptive to his message and what he's doing in this world. From the very get-go, Jesus is dealing with chaos. He is dealing with the powerful. He is dealing with brokenness. He is dealing with Satan. There's this little precarious little thing in, in Mark 3 where there's this conversation where the people are looking at what Jesus is doing and they say, well, he's got to be on Beelzebub's team. He's got to be on Satan's team himself. The things that he's doing, he's not following the law the way we want him to. More of this sort of upsetting the apple cart, disrupting the expectation, the Pharisees and the, all the lawgivers and law followers are looking at Jesus, who has just spent time healing a person who is, who is covered in leprosy and brokenness, and Jesus makes him well and he heals him. Tells him, don't tell anybody, and of course he goes and tells everybody. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And he just keeps sharing. And they're looking at Jesus and they say, you must be on Satan's team. 
That's the only way to explain the authority that you have and what you're doing and what you're saying. So Jesus is not building sort of uh, this team the way we might expect, right? And they're looking at him, and Jesus says, this is what's going on. This is what's happening right now, right in front of you. I am binding the strong man. You can't ransack his house unless you bind him up. And what I am telling you and what I am showing you in this very moment right before you, Jesus is teaching them and showing them that he has bound the evil one and he is rescuing those who are lost. There's a story just before that in Mark 2. It's one of the best stories in all the Bible. It's four friends who have a friend who's paralyzed and he can barely walk or he can't walk. And his friends, they take him to Jesus and of course, everybody was talking about him and saying all these things, and, and he's at home, and the, no one can get to Jesus. There's so many people crowding around his house, so they dig a hole in the roof, you know, and Jesus says, hey, you know, there's not a Home Depot for miles from here, you know, right? That's a big problem, you know. Lowers, they lower the man before Jesus, and what is it that the first thing Jesus does for him? He doesn't heal him so he can walk. What's the first thing Jesus does for the man who's paralyzed? He forgives him his sins. And then there's this harumph from the crowd. Feel free to give a harumph every once in a while if you want to. You're right. A harumph from the crowd that says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who is this guy and what business does he have forgiving people of their sins? What business does he have to do that? What authority does he have? Then he heals the man. Get up, your, get up, stand up, take your mat, and walk. He says, I did this. I forgave him first, and I healed him next so that you would know that I have the authority to forgive sin. Jesus arrives with heavenly authority to ransack evil, disrupt chaos, and bring peace. If you get anything from this morning, know that Jesus is greater than the chaos. Jesus is greater than our sin. Jesus is greater than our brokenness. Jesus heals. Jesus has the authority to forgive, to heal, to rescue, to draw us out from the prison of evil. He's rescued you. And it's this story that's being told in Mark 1 through 5 of Jesus disrupting, Jesus tearing down the sort of walls that have been built in our lives that keep us from loving Him, seeking Him, and having a life with God. Those people interrogating Him, saying, You're working on Satan's team, He says, I'm binding up the evil one. I'm binding up the strong, way, strong man. And what I hope you will see in the story of Christmas is God's rescue mission to save us from evil, to deliver us from evil, to draw us out of darkness, and to have a life in King Jesus. There are so many stories for us in the Gospel of Mark, and I have... Uh, Wanted to share all of them, but I, I realized that if I read chapters 1 through 5, that, that may not go super well for me. But there is, a, there is a story. There's a story of what Jesus is doing with his authority, and it's at the end of, of 4. 
This is after Jesus has explained the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is that he's, uh, he's scattering seeds and those who hear would respond in faith and there's those who don't hear and don't respond and everything in between. This morning, I hope that you will have ears to hear what Jesus is trying to teach us. And there's a powerful story and it's the one where Jesus is on the boat sleeping. Jesus and his disciples, they've gone through uh, quite a bit already together, and they're on the Sea of Galilee, and the storms sort of just sort of stir up out of nowhere on, 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 on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sleeping, says on a pillow. The new guy, he's in the corner of the boat puking his guts out, Right? up and down and left and right and over around and upside down and the disciples are crying out to God don't you care about us what are you going to do nudge Jesus hey hey guy wake up and Jesus he calms the wind and the storm and when he calms the storm the disciples all look at each other and they ask a question. And it's an authority question. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? The Gospel of Mark is teaching us that Jesus has authority over the chaos to forgive sins and calm storms and rescue sinners. The sea in the Bible... There's the physical sea, and they talk about that a lot. But there's also a sort of metaphorical, and there's imagery based on the sea. Uh, the Jewish people, they were, a, uh, they were farmers, like many of us and our community. They were not nom necessarily nomadic people. They, didn't, they weren't seafaring people. And the sea could stir up trouble kind of out of nowhere. And so in apocalyptic literature, which is imagery-based literature and and inferences and learning uh, just the imagery and what it means. The sea represents chaos. Chaos, we know chaos. Chaos is anything that is outside of your control. And so there is a powerful moment on the boat that day where Jesus becomes, uh, it becomes illustrative of Jesus' power to bring peace in the midst of the chaos. Peace in the midst of chaos. The story of the Bible will talk about the sea quite a bit more. Uh, in the book of Revelation, there's a few chapters spent on all of the bad things that come out of the sea. The dragon and all sorts of things that follow after that all are representative of evil, darkness, and chaos, and death. At the end of the Bible, something happens says that there's a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21. It says a couple of things happen. One of them is that the sea is no more. Now, why put that in the Bible other than to tell us that chaos, that death, that destruction, that the strong man has been bound up and now he's completely defeated. That Jesus brings peace in the chaos. I know you're all thinking, Jordan, I didn't wake up for a sermon from Revelation today. Well, too bad. 
Because you need to know the truth. That Jesus brings peace in the chaos. Jesus has the authority over sin and who's forgiven. Jesus has authority on who to heal. Jesus has authority to drive out demons. Mark, uh, Mark has the famous story of the poor pigs that get sent over the cliff. You know, there's a cute little picture that showed up on the internet. It has the animals. It has, it has a cow. It has a camel. It has, um, it has a donkey. It has a dove and, and a fish. And it says, I will, you know, the dove's like, I will bless Jesus' baptism. And the fish says, I'll pay his taxes. And the camel says, I'll bring him gifts. And then it shows the pig right here. It says, I'll let him fill me with demons. Then I'll jump off a cliff. And wait, What? So it's a great little comic to lighten, lighten us up for a moment. To say that God is at work through Jesus Christ in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Mark to teach us this truth that He has authority to forgive. He has the authority to heal. He has the authority to drive out demons. He has the authority to calm the seas and the oceans. Jesus has the authority even over death and despair. It's Mark 5. You would hang out with me here. They went across the lake. This is after, after all of that. The region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even in a chain. He had been chained hand and foot. Can we take a moment to think about the despair and the chaos and the brokenness of what it must be to be eternally forever tormented to the point of being bound in chains? But he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet and no one... No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Almost to say, I've been tortured enough. Look at my hands. Look at my brokenness. Look at the despair within me and around me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? He says, My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave permission and an impure spirit came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people, they went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and that he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, the, uh, tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This Christmas season, you have a response to Jesus. You can welcome him, or you can push him away. You can welcome him into your despair, into your hurt. You can ask for his healing. Or we can push him away. Would you look with me at the responses of people Jesus drew near? When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on hers so that she will be healed and that she would live. Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed, and they pressed in all around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. A poor woman. She had suffered a great deal. She had been under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I'm going to stay focused. You are too. We don't know what the basement will look like in a few minutes, but... uh. (laughs) Oh my. All right. There's some great kids down there, and I love them all. All right. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all that she had. She saw so many people that were offering help, and none of it helped. When she heard about Jesus... When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and told him the whole story. And she told him about the doctors, and she told him about her absolute poverty and her absolute despair. And she told him that I knew that if I just would touch your cloak, that I would be healed. And this is what he says to her. Daughter, daughter, your faith 
has healed you. And he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. If I could preach any Christmas series at any moment and any time, may it be this, that you are loved by God. And if you would just reach for him, he is ready to heal you. He is ready to set you free. He is here and his grace is for you. His kindness is for you. His love has come. And there is this truth and this grace for us right now in this moment for you today. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. You remember, he was on his way to see Jairus' daughter, the synagogue leader. He says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion of people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he took her by the hand, and he said to her, little child, little girl, get up. And immediately she stood up. She began walking around. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he gave her something to eat. Jesus has authority. He has authority to calm the seas of chaos. He has the authority to drive out demons. He has the authority to heal. He has the authority to forgive. He has the authority to raise the dead to life. At Christmas, we celebrate what the angels proclaim, what the shepherds see. We celebrate the gifts of the three wise men, and we look into a manger, and we look to a Savior. And what we see there is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Peace, our mighty God, the King of Kings. I've had a song in my heart this week as I've thought about what I would share with you this morning. Amidst all the chaos, amidst whatever's going on in your life, amidst all of that, there's this prayer song that I like to pray, and I can't sing, but I sort of sing, and it's a song by Rich Mullins called Hold Me, Jesus. Hold me, Jesus, I'm shaking like a leaf. 
been my king of glory. Will you be my prince of peace? Saved by the bell. Will you be my prince of peace? Hold me, Jesus. Friends, that's the prayer. That's Christmas. We see Mary holding Jesus. May Jesus hold us. May we be in his arms. May we reach out to him. May we have comfort and love and grace and let it abound in our lives. Because Jesus has arrived. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. The abounding grace, the wonderful comfort of your love, and your incredible peace that is ours today. Thank you for Jesus arriving. Thank you for his conquering over sin and death. Thank you for his forgiveness and healing. Lord, he may not have come and arrived and done what the world expected of him. He did what you expected of him. He did what you asked of him. He told us when he was here that he came to the sick and the hurting because they are those who needed the doctor the most. So Lord, I'd ask that Jesus would be our physician now, that he would bring healing, that he would bring hope, that he'd bring salvation to us this Christmas, that we would know today and comforted deep in our hearts that we are held by you. No matter if we're shaking, no matter if we're filled with turmoil and struggle, no matter if we're hurt, no matter if there's pain from death and despair and darkness, we've seen a great light. It's Jesus Christ, our King. Would you hold us, Jesus? Be the King of our glory and the Prince of peace. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand in response for this?